case. But nevertheless, I insist upon retaining the privilege of laughing when I please. And I, cried D'Artagnan, will allow no man to laugh when it displeases me. Indeed, sir, continued the stranger, more quietly than ever. Well, that is perfectly right. And turning on his heel, was about to re-enter the hostelry by the front gate, under which D'Artagnan, as he came up, had observed a saddled horse standing. But D'Artagnan was not the person thus to allow a man to escape him who had once had the insolence to laugh at him. He drew his sword entirely from the scabbard and followed him, crying, Turn, turn, Master Joker, lest I strike you from behind! Strike me, said the other, turning sharply round and surveying the young man with as much astonishment as contempt. Come, come, my good fellow, you must be mad. He had scarcely finished when D'Artagnan made such a furious lunge at him that if he had not sprung nimbly backward, it is probable that he would have jested for the last time. The stranger then, perceiving that the matter was going beyond a joke, drew his sword, saluted his adversary, and gravely placed himself on guard. But at the same moment his two auditors, accompanied by the host, fell upon D'Artagnan with sticks, shovels, and tongs. D'Artagnan let fall his sword which was struck from his hand by the blow of a stick and broken in two pieces. Another blow, full upon his forehead, at the same moment, brought him to the ground, covered with blood and almost fainting. It was at this period that people came flocking to the scene of action from all sides. The host, fearful of consequences, with the help of his servants, carried the wounded man into an upstairs chamber, where some trifling attention was bestowed upon him, but then insisted that, notwithstanding his weakness, he should get up and depart as quickly as possible. D'Artagnan, half stupefied, arose and began to descend the stairs. But on arriving at the kitchen, the first thing he saw was his antagonist, who stood quietly talking beside the step of a heavy carriage drawn by two large Norman horses. His interlocutor, whose head appeared through the carriage window, was a woman of from twenty to two and twenty years of age. D'Artagnan perceived at a glance that this woman was young and beautiful. She was pale and fair, with long curls falling in profusion over her shoulders, had large, languishing blue eyes, rosy lips, and hands of alabaster. She was talking with great animation with the stranger. "'His eminence then orders me,' said the lady, to return instantly to England, and to inform him immediately should the Duke leave London. And my other instructions? asked the fair traveller. They are contained in this box, which you will not open until you are on the other side of the channel. Very well. And you? What are you going to do? I owe oh, I shall return to Paris. What? Without chastising this insolent boy? asked the lady. The stranger was about to reply, but at the moment he opened his mouth, D'Artagnan, who had heard all, rushed forward through the open door. "'This insolent boy chastises others,' cried he, "'and I sincerely hope that he whom he means to chastise will not escape him as he did before.' "'Will not escape him,' replied the stranger, knitting his brow. "'No. Before a woman you would not dare to fly, I presume?' "'Remember,' cried Milady. Seeing the stranger lay his hand upon his sword, remember that the least delay may ruin everything. True, cried the gentleman. Be gone then on your way, and I will go mine. And bowing to the lady, he sprang into his saddle, her coachman at the same time applying his whip vigorously to his horses. 
The two interlocutors thus separated, taking opposite directions at full gallop. "'Base coward! False nobleman!' cried D'Artagnan, springing forward. But his wound had rendered him too weak to support such an exertion. "'He is a coward indeed,' grumbled the host, drawing near to D'Artagnan. "'Yes, a base coward,' murmured D'Artagnan, but she... she was very beautiful.' He then drew two crowns majestically from his purse, gave them to the host, who accompanied him cap in hand to the gate, remounted his yellow horse, which bore him without any further accident to Paris, where he repaired to the residence of the famous Monsieur de Treville. Louis Thirteenth had made de Treville the captain of his musketeers, who were to Louis Thirteenth in devotedness, or rather in fanaticism, what his ordinaries had been to Henry III, and his Scotch guard to Louis the Eleventh.